You're listening to Cam's Talk, a podcast brought to you by the service users and professionals from East London NHS Foundation Trust. A podcast where you can hear us discuss, debate and challenge issues around child and adolescent mental health in the UK. everyone and welcome to another episode of CAMS Talk. My name is Ashlyn Callahan, and I am a service user participation worker for Bedfordshire and Luton CAMS. Um, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host Ava. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, my name is Ava and I am a CAMS service user. Lovely, thank you. Um, And we're here today to continue our series of conversations about the effects of COVID on children and young people's mental health. Um, And more specifically, we're going to focus on the mental health of young people with tics and Tourette's um, and how they've been affected during lockdown. So we've been joined today by our guest, Dr. Atam Chowdhury, and it would be great if you could introduce yourself as well, please. Hello everyone, um, my name's Otom Chowdhury. I'm a child psychiatrist. Uh, I work in Dunstable in Bedfordshire. Amazing, thank you Otom. And there's a lot of things that qualify you to join us for this conversation, aren't there? So do you want to tell us a little bit about your your professional history? Um, well, I'm, I say I'm a child psychiatrist. My interest in Tourette's uh, is a uh, over about 25 years ago now, um, uh, I worked at Great Ormond Street as part of my rotation, and I was invited to a Tourette's clinic to observe, and I ended up um, sitting in a parents' group um, on a regular basis and making notes. And one of the parents said to me after a few months, that a big set of notes said, um, do you know, you should write a book on all of this. And I thought that's a good idea. So I did. I wrote a book um, pretty much made upon the things that the parents talked about, about their children having tics and threats. And we realized very early on that the things that they talked about were not in textbooks or they were not in lectures. So doctors didn't hear about these things. So we just put it into a book and the book became popular. Um, and so that's where my interest in tics came. And I've, I've worked with uh, young people ever since. It's amazing to hear you've got such a long history of working with parents and carers and young people of children experiencing Tourette's um, because one of the things I actually want to ask Ava about is the work, obviously you're still doing this work, Atom, and you worked together in February of this year. Uh, so Ava, can you tell us a little bit more about that? So I joined Dr Chowdhury on a webinar virtually talking to parents of children who have Tourette's and we found that uh, ticks have significantly increased during lockdown. Um, they generally were triggered by anxiety and fear. Um, so at school when the children would suppress their ticks and they would increase when they got home and this progressively got worse during the September lockdown, Um, We also found that even kids who were never diagnosed with Tourette's uh, prior to lockdown had ended up with um, symptoms of Tourette's after lockdown and with uh, kids who had Tourette's before had significantly developed uh, more ticks during lockdown. Wow, so there's obviously a lot of changes happening 
as a result of the lockdown for young people. Uh, Atom, does this does it surprise you that we're hearing about this this massive increase? Um, and also, we probably should have started with if you could give us a little bit of an outline of what we're talking about when we're talking about ticks and Tourette's. Okay, so so when we talk about ticks and Tourette's, um, uh, ticks are the, um, these rapid movements that people have where they have no control over. Um, it's rapid, sudden onset. It just comes on. Usually, uh, it appears in children around about the age of five, six, seven, around about that age, peaking up to uh, puberty when the hormones start coming up uh, and then leveling it off. That's what a tick is. You can get motor ticks, which are movements of the uh, muscles, head and neck generally, or you can get vocal ticks. Uh, so it's making noises. And so the combination of motor ticks and vocal tics together, uh, if you've had it for about a year or so, is what people know as a chronic tic disorder. Another word would be Tourette syndrome. But people get freaked out sometimes by the word Tourette syndrome because they think it's this condition where people just swear or people have these horrible movements and all sorts of things. That's what's portrayed in the media because that's very colorful and rich and that's what makes television programs and books and things. But the simple part of tics is basically the tic disorder is that most people have tics, these little tics, and they don't have these um, very uh, exaggerated symptoms. They have a mixture of motor and vocal tics um, and very, very common. And that's what Tourette's is. Tourette's is part of the tic disorder spectrum. Um, the second part, you asked the question about whether, whether we're surprised by this presentation. I guess we weren't expecting it um, a year ago. We didn't think this, this would happen, but like with COVID, we, we weren't expecting a lot of things uh, after COVID presentation. And we still don't know what's going to happen now with COVID, with long COVID and all of these symptoms that's going to get. So we're actually living through a dynamic stage where we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but what's important for researchers and doctors is to document things, to note things and to see if there's a trend to say, because that's important because then you can get resources and, and support. So what we are seeing is perhaps anxiety causing the ticks to come out more and more. That's what we're actually seeing at, at the moment. That is really interesting actually, because one of the other things that I wanted to ask you is whether along with an increase in the young people who are experiencing ticks and Tourette's, um, whether their mental health is being affected by this but it sounds like what you're saying is it's a bit more cyclical than that that maybe it's mental health that might be affected and that could help lead to the development of tics or Tourette's. Well that's right so there's two cohorts of people we're seeing in the tic disorder spectrum we've got people who have had Tourette's and how they've been affected and, and as Ava said the young people who didn't have a history of Tourette's before or ticks certainly during the pandemic have presented for the first time. So the ones with Tourette's, um, they've been affected. They're more ticks are present. They're more suggestible. Um, and a, a lot of it's to do with anxiety and lockdown and the uncertainties around uh, COVID-19 has affected mental health for lots of people, not just for children with Tourette's, but we're seeing it across, across the board. So those children will have more symptoms, more 
anxiety, but also comorbid obsessive compulsive symptoms and worries. So the ticks do get exaggerated. Now, the other group, the ones where there's no history, um, we think that what's happening is the anxiety is fueling this ticks. It's it's almost like the, it, the tick is a physical representation of a psychological uh, condition, which is the worry, the anxiety. So it's not just ticks. We're seeing people referred with pseudo seizures, almost as if they have an epilepsy seizures, but there's nothing organic found uh, to do with anxiety. We're seeing increase in eating disorders. We're seeing an increase in um, hallucinations. So we think it's the anxiety, which is basically behind this sudden onset of these uh, young people presenting with ticks. And we call this a functional illness. It's, it's, it's as a result of anxiety. That's really interesting, actually. And I feel like I'm learning a lot from this conversation. So I'm sure our listeners will definitely be learning lots of things. Because obviously, I work in CAMS, so I, I hear about the differences in the young people that might be being referred to the service. Uh, but it's amazing to hear just um, what a difference lockdown is making on the referrals that are coming into CAMS. Has it been more challenging working with young people in CAMS, whether with ticks, you know, experiencing ticks or experiencing other mental health difficulties during lockdown? Because there's been limits faced, placed on our face-to-face -face work with young people, obviously for safety reasons. So it'd be really interesting to hear how you feel that's affected being able to work with young people, because in our experience working with young people, some have said that they've loved the transition to online working um, and they'd much rather go for a walk outside with their clinician than go and meet them in clinic for a session. Um, so I'd love to hear your experiences of that over the past year. Yes, I, I know some young people who have found it a lot easier um, rather than coming to the clinic and the social difficulties of just being in the waiting room. Um, it makes me appreciate just how difficult it is sometimes because if you've got anxiety, the simple fact of going into a building, a mental health building, to go into a waiting room with other people, you may see some from your school, that's quite a daunting prospect. So that's been taken away. And they so for a lot of young people, they actually prefer online. It's straightforward. You can do it. There's no... Uh, navigating the social difficulties of mixing if you see someone else. But uh, but from my point of view, from uh, as a clinician, I actually like to see person in the room. I, I feel there's something therapeutic when you've got them in the room. Um, we're, we're all wearing masks as well. I, I like to see the person's face. But more importantly, I like them to see my face. Um, just, just because we look at, we read things and when we look at someone's face, we look at the eyes, the mouth, the expression. Uh, and part of the work we do is really engaging with someone, even if we don't get it right. It's so important we engage with them and they, and they connect with us because that connection is, is, I think, is probably one of the most important things a clinician can have. And we often don't talk about it, but if you lose that connection, you can be the best therapist in the world talking about CBT or talking about, uh, about, about counselling. But if you haven't got that connection then it doesn't mean anything. And so for me, being in the room with someone is so important. I can't wait to get back. Um, we are, I mean, I, I still see people in the room, but I wanna be 
there with the masks off and engaging and trying to do the work and and looking at certain um, subtle signs in in the facial expression. That's what we do. We don't put in, we don't measure, we don't put on paper, but it, it's it's collectively we do it unconsciously, and that informs us when we make a decision um, and when we try to help young people. So so I I have found a challenge, and I I prefer to be with someone in the room. So regarding young people developing this exacerbation of tics, in your opinion, how accessible has support for young people with diagnosis been in lockdown? Um, well, in terms of our camps, we've been open. Uh, we've been able to uh, still have appointments. We haven't, we haven't turned anyone away. Um, but I am aware um, it is difficult because there's me saying, well, I prefer to see people face to face. The number of uh, young people who prefer to see people face to face and haven't had the opportunity to do that because of lockdown. So it hasn't been as accessible as we'd like. But also it's important to say the other services, they've shut down or they've stopped. Um, and th those services have been so supportive to young people um, and if they're not there, then, of course, the anxiety is increased and you feel more isolated. So I think young people have suffered because they haven't been able to access a lot of services. Even something like school, we take we forget about how school is important, not just for education, but it provides a social environment and sometimes a psychological support. Now, if that was taken away and if you, you not just if your counsellor is there, it might be your peer group or your or the favourite teacher isn't there anymore, the one who supports you, then you are, you're lost, really. You, that, that really was providing support for you. So I, th I think it has been difficult for a lot of young people, and I don't think um, services really have been accessible as much as they can. But everyone's been trying and doing online. Uh, we've been doing the best we can, uh, and we've learned a lot from this. So, uh, but... It's so good that we have online, we have Zoom. We, a year ago, we didn't have Zoom, or it was available, but none of us talked about it. Um, so it's good that we've, we've, we've advanced technology, so there's some positives there. But yeah, I'd, I feel we, ha we could have been a bit more accessible than we have been. And this is a really cool point in time, I feel, actually, for this conversation, because we're discussing whether young people, how they found virtual sessions. And we're at a point where in the next few months, we'll be able to transition back to more regular face-to-face -face sessions with less restrictions on these sessions. So there might be young people out there who would definitely prefer face-to-face -face sessions with you, but they don't want a face-to-face -face session with the masks on, with the PPE, going in the waiting room and seeing those posters every two metres about social distancing. Uh, so uh, currently working virtually, I might feel a bit nervous about coming back into the clinic, but actually see, seeing how we transition, because it's a real transitional phase at the moment. You know, we're recording this, shops have opened this week, and there's, you know, the sun's out and there's a real kind of different feel in the air to what there was even a few weeks ago when we recorded that conversation with Professor Townsend Ford. So I think it's a really interesting point in time in this conversation because, as you said, Autumn, there's been so many changes 
and it, it's kind of your role in research and in working with young people to identify trends and it will be really interesting to see where the trend is heading now as we transition back into a bit of normality whether do you think they'll the trend will kind of die down a little bit for young people who are struggling and and suddenly starting to experience ticks who haven't before or do you think that's something that might continue the honest answer is that i don't know and no one knows um because we just don't know what's, what's going to happen what we do know though is before the pandemic um the number of people presenting to services were increasing the levels of stress were increasing and people presenting with self-harm issues um they were increasing they weren't steady they were increasing anyway before the pandemic and and so the worry is that the pandemic has halted things for a little bit and then during the pandemic it starts to increase now and what we will see is a number of people who have been affected and because families get affected we 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 shouldn't ever isolate the child the young person from the family we're all part of the system the families have been affected so some parents have um lost their jobs their livelihoods because of what, what what's happened um so there's been bereavement there's been diff- difficulties and so this will have a knock-on effect on young people and gets passed down there's also the impact of a lot loss of education as well um and people struggling so it is going to have an effect and so that's why it's important the next few years um there is more support or there is recognition and people are looking out for each other and uh, as we come out of the pandemic so it's not it's finished we're going back to normal it's okay we you know, we we're quite vulnerable so we just need to make sure services are there and resources are there and people at the royal college of psychiatrists are are pushing for more resources with the government and we're trying to do that as well within local camps as well yeah i'm really glad that you actually mentioned that Adam, that while we are transitioning a little bit the effects on people's lives livelihoods relationships education mental health are going to be felt for a long time even after we seemingly go back to normal and i think it's important that we bear that in mind when we're having these conversations so it, it is, that. It, it is i mean one point i'd like to, to to mention also is about resilience as well so so i'm an optimist as well and i always feel you, you if you reflect on things you can learn from things and i'm hoping that a lot of young people um can see actually it was difficult it was a difficult time but we've come out of this uh, which shows i've got a bit of resilience there and resilience is the key thing because life will throw things at you we don't know what's around the corner no one is immune from bad things happening it's how you deal with it and that's what we're trying to teach young young people um in terms of to help them with their self-esteem um and so ticks is a great example of that so the young people i've seen with in very very difficult ticks um they've been able to manage some difficulties in their lives because they've had some adverse outcomes in the, in the past now i feel some of them are quite resilient and and that that that's important because if your self-esteem is intact if you feel confident about yourself it doesn't matter what collapse it's you can deal with this and i remember i, I had a young patient many years ago with um very severe tics uh, you could hear the tics outside the waiting room um as they came in um but this this young younger boy well he's a man now uh he played uh, guitar and drums and he was into rock music and everything and that was his identity and so even though his tics were so difficult and so 
distressing, particularly for other people to hear. He was okay about it because he was comfortable in himself. And so his prognosis was good because he was able to deal with issues to do with ticks uh, and he was comfortable in himself. Now I've seen other people, let's say, uh, a lot younger with say one tick involving blinking of the eye, but because the teachers were critical of this girl or the parents were not understanding, the self-esteem wasn't intact. So that person, you just feel, well, their resilience isn't so good. They're, they're, they're going to struggle because they're being criticized. And even though it's a small tick compared to someone with lots of ticks, it all depends on uh, uh, your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself. And, and that's what I wanted to say, say about ticks, but also coping with life in general, coping with the pandemic, coping with things. If you can get your identity and feel good about yourself and uh, and and cope with things, um, then you'll be able to deal with what life throws at you in a better uh, in a better way than if you had someone whose outlook was negative and I've got ticks and it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. So we try to create a positive a a sense of you're going to be okay. Let's deal with this. And most of the young people say to me afterwards, do you know the ticks are just part of me? It's just it's it's not a big deal. It's just parts of me, and I can still get on. I'm still this young person. I'm not. I don't want to be seen as the person with ticks. I'm just a young person who just happens to have ticks. I don't think that there's a person that could listen to this um, and not find hearing that really helpful, really interesting, really inspiring as well to hear the the work that you're doing with young people and just having that having that perspective it's really interesting to hear as you know to hear a professional talking about their work in that way uh, so I'm really glad that you said that it's really if I, I think that's a really nice note to end the podcast on maybe um, and I hope people hold it in mind af after listening and, and go about with that carry that with them um thank you so much for joining us today Autumn. it's been so interesting personally professionally and for everyone else out there listening as well so thank you well, well it's a pleasure and it's a pleasure to work with Ava as well and um and to have done the group together um and to sit in and um I got feedback from um, some of the parents in the group who thought she was excellent and just to just to work with her was collaborative um it's just a great thing for me to be part of so so Ava can I just say thank you for for working with me on this yeah she's on her way to great things isn't she and you've been I know you're not the most confident in speaking on the podcast but you have been instrumental in planning and leading all of these um so I really want to thank you for your contributions there as well because they've been so great to these conversations so thank you Ava Thank you so much for the opportunity to um, work with you guys as well. It's been amazing. Thank you. You've been listening to CAMS Talk, a podcast brought to you by the Luton and Bedford CAMS team and the Luton and Bedford Service User Participation Group. If you'd like to hear more from us, just go over to camstalk.com and subscribe. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any of the other platforms that you're using. Once you've subscribed, you'll get notification on your device every time we release a new episode. If you want to comment or share your views, you can contact us on Twitter using at camstalk, or you can send us an email using info at camstalk.com. One last thing before we go. 
don't forget to use the hashtag CamsTalkPodcast whenever you comment on social media. We'll speak to you soon.